Oh, welcome everybody to another episode of Winging It uh, with my fellow host Rob Bogue and myself, Eric Shups, to episode five. Rob, how are you this month? I I am great. I am great. I I feel blessed that I got to call nine one one yesterday. <laughs> so you had a <laughs> you had a bit of an interesting afternoon, didn't you? Yeah. So here's the thing: like whenever somebody like I I encountered this guy. Uh, and he's behind my yard and the dogs have barked at him. Right. And and he says that Jesus brought him there. And I have to tell you that there are two things that make a story interesting every single time. One, Jesus brought me here. And two, I dialed 911. <laughs> and they both happened. And they both happened. So, you know, this is like this is like Lord of the Rings. There's a trifecta <laughs> here. It, it, it's just amazing. But, yeah, no. So I'm having a, I'm having a great time. And I love I love the aircraft. Yes, uh, uh, one of our favorites, um, uh, which we have both seen and, in fact, have gone to see the cockpit trainers right here in Dallas. And uh, yeah, I've, and I've, I've seen one of the last ones actually take off and fly. You've seen it fly, haven't you? Uh, I never got to see it fly. No. Mm. Mm. No, I've seen quite a few of them in various museums and so forth at this point, but uh, I never actually got to see a flight. So. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. But it, it, nothing gives you confidence like a plane sitting on the tarmac leaking fuel out of its right. entire body. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what I got to tell you about this plane is you can't light this fuel. You can't do it. In fact, we had to use special stuff, TEB, and that shit makes a really big explosion and it barely lights the engines. Oh, and that's after we have the two Buicks that are tied together to start spinning stuff up to get it going. Right. Like, wait, wait, wait. It takes two Buicks and an explosion. That's how exactly. this thing starts? Now that's a good airplane. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You've got to love that. <laughs> that's like a P-51 Lightning. And most, so you guys are all not going to know this, but but it's fun anyway. So um, there's this thing called um, a P-Torque, and it tends to want to flip a plane over. Uh, and, and y'all the plane and all this other stuff. So a P-51, you would start it, you would apply three-quarter throttle, no, not 100% throttle, three-quarter three throttle, um, because 100% flips it over, just <laughs> um, three-quarter throttle and full right rudder just to compensate uh -huh. for everything, to hope that you can sort of mostly go straight. And if you're not going straight, you cut the throttle a little bit so that you can go straight. Anyway, <laughs> lots of fun airplane stuff. So for, if anyone has wondered why this uh, series is called Winging It, it's, it's well, for two reasons, really, because Rob and I share a love for um, airplanes and all things related to flying. But uh, secondly, because most of the time we are just winging it. Yeah, just, <laughs> what are we making up today? Well, I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> although, although this time we come prepared, shockingly enough. I know we have slides. Yeah, scary, scary. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into uh, this month's episode, which hopefully has better audio and video quality than last month. I apologize for my... Apparently last month, Eric was on the moon and <laughs> the Apollo mission cameras no longer functioned. And so he was frozen. But... Yeah. Good times. Good times. 
so uh, new episodes every second Thursday. Uh, you can watch us on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook live stream. Feel free to leave comments on those. Uh, we'll get back to you. You can always go to communitycloudcast.com to see a listing of previous episodes. Uh, and remember that this is just one of our series. We have the regular Community Cloudcast, uh, which Rob has been a guest on. And we also have the VNext series that Paul McCollum runs that, uh, strangely enough, I was the guest on uh, for our last episode, which was a good conversation about artificial intelligence. I have to thank our sponsors, of course, because we can't do these sorts of things without our sponsors. Uh, Aptigent uh, with power tools on the power platform, Salesforce, Nintex, IBM, BPM, and Zapier. Uh, so get all your fancy-dancy plugins uh, by just looking up power tools or going to aptigent.com. And also of the uh, various offerings that Rob has, uh, change management is is being, I guess, highlighted this month. Rob, tell us just a brief. Yeah, I mean, thing nobody about has any problems with change, right? Like you just tell yeah. people to change, and they just change, right? Sorted. Yeah. No. So seventy percent of change projects fail. We don't want yours to fail. Go to Confident Change Management. We'll tell you how not to fail at your change. Super easy. There you go. Good stuff. All right, so our topic this month, which should be a fun one for us to sink our teeth into, uh, is uh, separating fact from fiction when it comes to cloud collaboration. Of course, we're specifically talking about the Microsoft stack in this series and Microsoft 365, Office 365 Teams, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> but I'm sure many of these apply to other technology stacks as yeah, well. Well, let's start with this, though. No, let's start with this. What does collaboration mean? Mm. Right? Like you and I have done this for a long time and I used to have so much fun with clients. Like if you, have you ever had that annoying client? You're like, they, I, these people, like, I mean, they're just off the and and they come in and they tell you, Hey, we want to do collaboration. I'm like, cool. Tell me what you mean. And they'd be like, we want to do collaboration. And I'd be like, cool. Tell me what you mean. And about time number three, I'd go, well, do you mean to conspire with the enemy? Right. And they all look at me like, I'm like that is one of the definitions. Is that the one you want, or should maybe we define something different? <laughs> collaborate all the things. Yeah, like collaborate those things and stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess in our our common lexicon, at least in the space that we're in, this would typically mean information sharing in a web based uh, context. You know, disconnected and some sort of intermediary platform. Of course, we think of SharePoint, but it could be tools like teams that sort of aggregate chat and other information together yep. but it can also be email for that matter i mean we yeah. do a lot of collaboration uh yeah. over email and and sometimes our collaborative systems well aren't that collaborative really at all they can either enable or disable mm. right and it, and i think we've probably both seen the it departments that disable collaboration they turn off all the features they're like hey i'm gonna go to a new platform salesforce microsoft whatever let me see if i can just flip every switch off <laughs> like okay <laughs> yeah so i but that's a good point in that collaboration is really the antithesis of control when it comes to information sharing within an organization yep. what we really want people to do is work together in a decentralized fashion and not centralize it all through IT, which of course is the remit of IT, also known as the Department of No, uh, to um, you know, minimize all the various spinning plates 
that are out there and, and restrict what capabilities users have at their disposal because, of course, these things are expensive to support um, and maintain. But it it is to this day and always has been a push and pull between IT control and end user collaboration that I think the cloud has finally tipped that maybe in the direction of the business user. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, if you don't do this for me, I'm grabbing my corporate credit card and I'm going to buy it somewhere. Right. Because you can buy something somewhere that'll do sort of what you want, whether IT knows about it, approves it, thinks about it. <laughs> right. And and so you, it's absolutely tipped towards the user um, and the people who are still trying to do control in the IT departments are fighting a losing battle. Right. And and so how do we how do we help them transition into ways of helping their users and not losing too much. Um, I, you know, when I used to talk, when I was talking about governance and engagement, right. And I'm like, pick one, cause you can have one or the other, but you really can't have both. Now that's not really true, right? Like you have some engagement, some, some adoption and some control. And how do you find that balance? Um, but it's, but it's definitely hard. And it, and, the, and you, you know, it's like somebody's got their thumb on the wheel and they have definitely tipped it towards the end users. Well, I, I think that's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, uh, also being in IT and having been in the IT management space, I, I can understand the uh, how difficult that can be for IT departments, especially when they have to support those tools. But, you know, at the end of the day, the business is paying the bills. Right. Right. We got to get shit done. True that. So let's let's bust a few myths here, and 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 this is just a smattering of myths that I came up with, just off the top. Are we of busting my head a move or myths? Pardon? We're not, we're not busting a move. We're not busting a move, Rob. Okay, myths. Okay, it, we're way too old to be busting any moves. If we, yeah. <laughs> we bust a move, we're more likely to bust something bust else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> move busting days are over. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll stick to some myths. Okay, right. <laughs> so that means we get to blow stuff up, right? It, well, metaphorically speaking, indeed. Yeah. We're good. not too old to blow. You're never too old to blow stuff up. No. Just as long as you don't get a friendly visit from the ATF. You're good. <laughs> yeah, <did> that. <laughs> so let's start with the big one, the big kahuna of all cloud myths, right? The one. The cloud is cheaper. Well, we told people from the very beginning that this wouldn't be the case. Right. We, and when I say we, I mean the collective community as a whole, but certainly oh, us in particular, uh, anyone who had some experience knew this was never going to be the case. If you've been around for a while, you knew this was just fool's gold, but you know, everybody still rushed to those streams to try and pan it out. And the vendors were had a vested interest in spreading that message. But what I've started seeing is companies have finally wised up, at least bigger organizations. Uh, and many of them are pulling things back from an all cloud initiative. Uh, so so there, there's, let me let me put some framing around this and then we can, uh, I'll get your input on it. But if you are in an enterprise that's large enough that it can maintain its own data center, right? That has the staff and the equipment and the expertise to maintain a data center. Uh, 
then the cloud um, is simply another service provider, but they can't necessarily do more than you can do, except when it comes to scalability and maybe global availability. But in terms of keeping computers running, keeping systems functioning, right, you can do just as good as anybody else, because at the end of the day, the cloud is just computers and somebody else's data center. So right. there's always been a tipping point there where the, the cloud um, wasn't about cost, it was about making the most effective use of your resources. Can you yep. offload that management of the IT infrastructure to somebody else and reallocate those resources elsewhere? Or does the cloud offer things like global scalability or, or the, the ability to instantly dial up massive scale up and down uh, that would tip the balance? It wasn't really about cost. I think it's at the smaller end of the scale or the lower end of the scale where that cost message really had the most impact. And what I'm seeing is that people start to wise up and are reevaluating that um, scenario, probably because they got hit by some really large Azure bills that they weren't expecting. Yeah, I mean, I think so. So I've never thought about cloud as cost. Cloud is not cost, right? Um, I've always thought about it as, as services you're talking about. And when you're when you're a small organization, right, reliability um, patching, those sorts of things, those add up because, you know, the person who's doing that doesn't have a system for doing it. They're doing it ad hoc. Um, you don't want to pay for two servers and you don't want to pay for the extra hard drives and you don't want to pay for, and you don't want to pay for, you know, if you, so let's think about this. If you're going to build a data center to keep something always on at your location, you need two power feeds from two independent power sources, mm -hmm. two generators, two UPSs, right? And you're like, well, you don't really need that. And you're like, really, trust me, I've seen data centers go down on with one of any of those, right? Yeah. Like I can, I can tell you the name. Well, I can't tell you the name, but if I could tell you the name, you'd know the name, right? So when you, when you think about it like that and you think about, oh, well, I'd have to have two internet connections and all this stuff, then for small, medium-sized businesses, this totally makes sense. You can move stuff into the cloud where your bandwidth is cheap, you get all of the redundancies to 2N all the way back. Um, and that that has super high value, particularly if you're an online system or parts of your business are completely online. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think I've seen that too. Particularly uh, larger organizations are pulling back the workloads that are constantly spinning, right? The stuff that's in up and down and, and right, like the stuff that's variable, sure, go to the cloud because I can't efficiently manage that internally. Even with VMware and whatever, I can't keep the host balanced and just make it go away. Um, but if you have you know, big batch processes that run all the time, those they're pulling back because they're like the cost efficacy isn't there. And do you think it's also that organizations have started to look at consolidation of legacy systems that the natural attrition that happens of older systems being you know melded into new the rise of uh, virtual computing management and sort of this cloud in the um, in the data center type of concept with better software controls and whatnot that just the natural pace of innovation has lent itself to making it more affordable and those those systems that work in the cloud now coming down to on-premise have just made it easier to run your own data center with less staff. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, some of it is that, yeah. Some of it is just, just 
the market's changing, right? Um, I wouldn't say that I've seen a lot of apps get retired. Um, I don't know about you, but pretty much when somebody when somebody comes to me and they go, hey, we're going to develop a new, we want you to develop a new app for us, you know, and we're only going to use it for a year. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> right? And I know, I know when we get those calls, the the mean, mean, the, the average time that that system's going to run is five to seven years, <laughs> right? And they told me one year, right? So I don't, I don't see actually a lot of the retirement. Um, I, it totally baffles me when I see applications and stuff running on like Windows NT. And you're like, oh my God, that boots on the new processors? I, I wasn't aware, right? And they're like, no, 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 it doesn't. We emulate one because we have it in a VM and we're emulating an old processor. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Just just yesterday, I, I ran into some uh, something that was a fixed width record, and and let me tell you what that means. That means COBOL, right? Oh, <laughs> because that's the only thing in the entire history of computing that has used a fixed width record. Um, but I ran into that. It happened to be a government thing, but but still, yeah, no surprise, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but you, so we've been talking about the cloud being cheaper, but what about migration being easy? Yeah. 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 That's the, the uh, these aren't necessarily in any order, but the, the three at the top are the ones that really jumped out to me, but everybody, and I mean, everybody who hasn't done it before underestimates the level of effort, time and cost is going to take to migrate to the cloud. They have either bought into what the vendors told them, uh, which you should never do. Uh, in that this is just going to be, oh, yeah, buy our cloud product and we have a service and let's <laughs> just make it easy. Right? Press the button. <laughs> Press the button. Yeah. Uh, and the easy button. We'll sell you the easy button and just make it work. Uh, and that doesn't happen. Uh, Microsoft hasn't done it. Neither has anybody else. Uh, the migration vendors uh, have different tool sets to fit different needs. So you have to do a fair amount of due diligence there. Uh, but of course, they overestimate the amount uh, in terms of percentages of, of data and information that you have that can migrate to the cloud. But the worst part about it all, really, is that the organizations themselves have no idea how much stuff they have, right. where it is, or what they need to do with it. Right. I cannot tell you the number of companies I've walked into and I've said, how much, how much data we're moving? And they're like, we don't know. Hey, Bob, you do backups. How much are we backing up every day? <laughs> and Bob's like, Oh, let me look. And it's, you know, 57 terabytes or something. And, and everybody's like, what? <laughs> like, are we moving 57 terabytes? I mean, that's fine, but you got a big bill coming. I'm just saying. <laughs> and you won't be done for five years. And, and, and let's see. Uh, one terabyte per eon that's forever. <laughs> forever yeah. It's funny, I didn't tell you this uh pre show, but I, I had a conversation with one of our friends at uh Microsoft and I was talking about one of the one of the file pipeline processing tools that we have that pushes data to the cloud and it's getting throttled because that's what the cloud does. And I eventually said, you know, this is what you want me doing. Like you want me putting more content in the cloud and you're throttling that operation on me, right? Which means 
fuel utilization, blah, 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 blah. Um, but that's the thing, right? Like all these migration utilities, even use the migration APIs, they all get throttled. And, you know, so, so, so migration is going to take longer than you think it's going to take. It just is. And there's, so you could over-engineer this and say, well, we'll give people backdoors specifically for migration and we'll give them, you know, point-to-point -point connections and this and that. But then the the more popularity you get, the more of those back channels you need. And there's just not, you can't throw enough money at that to, to make it happen. Uh, yeah, Microsoft has ExpressRoute, right? I have clients who are on ExpressRoute. And ExpressRoute is a nice way at a network level to ensure that you have solid connectivity to the cloud. Check yes. Mm -hmm. And it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. And the other piece that so many people fail to understand is because of the throttling mechanism, which they have to do to protect their platform. And this isn't a Microsoft issue. This is every cloud provider has to protect their, their platform for regular you know, user-based activities. It takes so much longer, infinitely longer than anybody expects when they're laying out the project plan. They come yep. and say, oh, we're going to bring on a contractor for six months to do this migration, right? Yep. Well, just like the app, you, you know, they're going to still be there two and a half years later. Right. Trying to get this migration done. Not, not only did you not scope out the uh, data that you have, which means that's the job they have to go to do first. You haven't right. baselined it. You haven't tested it. You don't actually know how much you can move in that environment. Uh, or... And sometimes it's, it changes between environments. What if you test it on commercial and you actually have to go into GCC or GCC high? Totally right. different story. G By the way, for those for those playing the home game, GCC is government and GCC high is secure government. Secure government. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And and one of the things that we had, the, one of the conversations we had was noisy neighbor, uh, which is other things are happening in your tenant while you're doing their migration. Mm -hmm. Right. And those impact the way that you're throttled and, and it has to. And I get it. Right. Like understand that the problems we're talking about is Eric Center. They're, they're just they're this they're the right problems. You have to do this as a platform level. But as someone who's trying to get data to the cloud, it can be very, very challenging. And part of the onus is on the vendors to adequately prepare their customers for what's required, which they're loath to do because it may interrupt a sale, but we all right. need to get on the same page here and say, look, this is a reasonable expectation for how long this is going to take right. uh, and what you're going to need to get this job done. Uh, and there also needs to be an understanding of what is not going to migrate because you can't right. move everything to the cloud. There's a lot right. of stuff that's not going to work. And there's a lot of things that you have to redo. And no, it's not going to, nor should it look like that old 2007 intranet you've had for 15 <laughs> years. Now, right? Anyway, which version of SharePoint is it? Are the site actions on the left or the right? Because <laughs> they bounce back and forth every release. Um, how are we going to know what we're doing? Move the thing. Move it. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think, you know, the file stuff, There's that's volume. Um, but web pages and all the other things that you might want to migrate um, are really tricky. If you have workflows in your on-prem environment, moving them is maybe, 
mm-hmm. right? Particularly if you keep things in flight, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you if you have workflows that are ten that are designed to run and continue running, mm, that stuff doesn't transfer. So, yeah, uh, all things that need to be taken into account, and many others, managed metadata and you know other service applications that you're using and search indexes and blah blah blah. So easy. No, absolutely not. And and this idea that, well, you know, we're going to the cloud, we don't need consultants. Well, maybe you don't because you have the staff and expertise, but a lot of people do, if for no other reason to help you think through all these issues right. that you haven't thought through before, right? Um, and, and ideally, you need someone who has experience who's done it uh, a bunch of times um, right. and can say, no, that won't work or stop listening to whomever because they're <laughs> selling you a you know, pack of lies. Thank you. Snake oil, um, which does to a certain degree lead into the next point, which is the expectation that you go to the cloud and everything just works. Well, did everything work on prem? <laughs> Was it all perfect? Did every software release? There were no bugs. You never have to open a support ticket. Uh, no. And the same is going to be true of the cloud. In fact, I believe the mantra in the cloud is break it faster and more often. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think. Anybody who dealt with search for much time in SharePoint knew that every once in a while it was just going to break and you'd have to re-index and that would suck because it took a long time and it would just break. And and I can tell you from experience with customers, right? Like it still happens, right? Like I still every quarter have to open a ticket and say, hey, somebody go knock search over and pick it back up because he's <laughs> lost his mind. Um. And I can't tell you the user interface defects that people say, well, I can't select this box. And I'm like, no, you're right. You can't select that box. They did something, yeah. right? And you haven't been able to select that box for 10 years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> 10 years, two months, two days. We don't know, but you can't. So, yeah. And I, I think the other thing that, that happens that's related to this, everything just works, is you we all expect things to be where we left them last. Mm-hmm you know, the menu options. So for instance, site settings, and this has been a while ago, right? But they took site settings out of all the menus and you can only get to it from site contents and from site information, information. right? Those are the two ways you get to it now. So something we used to be able to do in one click, we now have to go through something else. And oh, by the way, there's two paths to get to it because it's SharePoint and we like making lots of ways to get to it as long as there's seven or eight clicks involved, right? And so, yeah, like they keep moving stuff on us and they're going to keep doing that. There's no way to slow that down, turn that off. But. And it, Microsoft takes a lot of slack for this. In some cases they shoot themselves in the foot. In many cases they shoot themselves in the foot and they got people working on these tools that have, you know, don't have a history of using them or some cases never have used them. But it, it also happens on other platforms. I mean, Salesforce is no exception. They move the cheese all the time, right? I'm, yeah. I'm constantly getting every quarter, you know, they have these, these sort of quarterly releases and you get, so oh, these features are being retired in summer 23 and it's, you know, March. <laughs> well, <Right>. Okay. <laughs> this um, go bye-bye now. Bye. Yeah. And some of that is, you know, we tried something and it didn't work. Right. Fair enough. Right. Or, you know, their, their infamous telemetry says people aren't using this, even right. though it may be very important for a small subset of people or, or, you know, whatever baseline metric that they're using for most, in most cases, I can't say in all cases, but in most cases, these aren't just capricious, oh, we want to mess with the users, right? There's a reason that they're doing these things. 
but that doesn't change the disruption or the fact that no, everything does not just work. Yeah. Well, you know, Microsoft um, is recently announced that the 2013 workflow engine is going to stop. Mm -hmm. um, right. And they've got a timeline for it and whatever. And so now you're going to be using power apps or uh, power automate, sorry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's disruptive because it means that if you had workflows on prem, they no longer migrate, mm -hmm. right? Because there isn't an engine for them to land in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not they, not that they necessarily always migrated well before, but but now it's like, no, not at all. Um. So so, and, and that's natural evolution, and that's all okay. Um, it's a lot about how do you build the path from where you are to where you're going. We we saw InfoPath retire, and that took felt like a decade um because you know it just took time for people to convert all the forms and stuff and, and we're going to keep seeing that with the cloud and the trick is that data rate and how much lead time you get um i've definitely had clients when they turned off the 2010 engine where they turned it off and the client's like calling me like why are my workflows not working and i did you not get the memo they send it on everything. I mean, they sent out carrier pigeons, right? Like they were serious. They also about only gave us five months advance notice. Well, okay, okay, <laughs> but but carrier pigeons were involved, and that was impressive. <laughs> it the challenge for the business, of course, is that this is work. The vendor okay. retires a feature, and it's work that has to be done that doesn't move the ball forward. Mm -hmm. Right. They're, they're, you're not making any advanced strides with with doing that work, um, which is highly unfortunate. And if you do it too often, then people are going to stop using those features or, or move away from your platform. So there's risk involved uh, in not overdoing it. I don't know anybody who's found that balance yet. Microsoft certainly hasn't. Uh, but there needs to be a balance between, you know, moving, modernizing those feature sets and, and just changing things too often. Um, but right. in, in the realm of, of change, and I we talked about this in a previous episode to a certain degree, uh, is that people have sort of given up on, on solid concepts like information architecture and taxonomy uh -huh. and metadata and, and things of that. And if you want more background discussion, you can go back to our uh, episode from, I think it was two episodes ago uh, that we talked about that. Yep. But there's this sort of myth going around that those things aren't important anymore when it the opposite is true. When all you have to rely on is search to find stuff, you better have a good information architecture. Right. I think, I think what's interesting. So if we, if we look at where Microsoft's going, right, like all roads lead to Viva, like, and, and, and there's, there's major epics of time, right? There was a time when you had to have at Microsoft, you had to have the word SharePoint in your deck or it wasn't a real Microsoft deck. <laughs> Right. And then there's the time period of teams. If you don't have teams in and I'm cap, capital T teams on your deck, then it's not a real deck. Now we're in the age of Viva. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have Viva something in your deck, it's not a real deck. And that's um, it's interesting because when, when you look at all the things that Viva does um, for the most part, um, somebody can go, oh, there's this one exception. Basically, everything that you can do in Viva, you can do in another product. And whether it's whether it's Yammer or whether it's SharePoint or whether it's Teams or whether like 
you know, Viva Connect is a SharePoint homepage, right? Like it's just they plugged it into the team's interface. Um, and, and so we look at all this and all of the same principles apply because all of the same tools are actually still in use. Mm -hmm. Right. Earlier you were talking about teams and, you know, collaborating with teams and whatever. And, and so teams is basically sitting on top of two things, right? It's sitting on top of SharePoint for file storage and it's sitting, sitting on top of exchange for messaging. It's not different fundamentally. They're just bringing an interface to it. And because of that, all the same principles apply. And I don't know, I don't know what you find, but I find that somehow naming it Viva changes people's perception of it. Well, they, yes. Uh, in which case you say bravo to Microsoft's marketing department for, uh, you know, <laughs> forcing that mind change. But at the same time, it's nothing but a set of plug-in components. It's not even a cohesive story by any means. And it's certainly skipping ahead to a later data point. It's not a replacement for your company internet. Right. And worse, if, if we're going to throw daggers at it, and it certainly is worthy of having lots of daggers thrown at it, uh, it doesn't meet the needs of a large portion of customers. It meets the needs of a very specific portion of customers who sit in front of their computers all day and are in teams. Yeah. And beyond that, it doesn't meet the needs. And I've had this right. conversation with customers saying Microsoft just doesn't understand the way our business works. And they right. don't, and they don't want to because they've right. found their new marketing horse that they're going to ride. That's not to discount that or say that Viva isn't a good thing or that it doesn't have value because both of those are true. It is a good thing and it does have value. But it's another one of these one-size-fits-all stores. Just like you said, first SharePoint was, was solves everything. Then it was Team solves everything. Now it's Viva solves everything. Uh, right. And none of the above are true. And that means that the customer, as always, needs to think about their particular needs and designing their overall strategy, information architecture, to encompass these multiple products and not just buy into these things. Because I guarantee you, uh, as any company that has to keep seeing, being seen as an innovator, three or four years from now, there will be something other than Viva that will be the new marketing pony. Right. There has to be. Has there to has be. to be. And I think, you know, when you describe it as a marketing thing, um, and, and I got that most of the listeners are not going to get this reference, but IBM used to have a thing called WebSphere, right? And WebSphere was not a product. WebSphere was a brand. And it included stuff that was totally incompatible. You could be like, oh, this is WebSphere A and this is WebSphere B. I should be able to plug them in. And you'd go to do that. And it was like matter and antimatter. <laughs> there was this explosion, right? And, and people, you know, people think about Viva as if it is a thing. It is not a thing. It is a collection. Mm -hmm. It's the container that holds all the other stuff. And I will say, you know, in Microsoft's defense, nothing blows up when you put Viva together, right? But it, but we still have to understand that it's marketing. And and once again, if Viva is only exposing what you already have, so garbage right. in, garbage out. If you yep. don't design an information architecture, if you don't have think how your site structure is put together, if you don't do news and hub sites and all those things you're supposed to do as part right. of good, you know, uh, modern practice. 
uh, around IA, you're just going to get junk out of Viva. We're leaving aside things like you know Viva sales and very specific things, you know yeah. that, that are offshoot products, but uh, because they rely on Teams and SharePoint and Exchange, those things that you have to have good hygiene there. And in SharePoint, good hygiene is all about in, in the cloud anyway is all about good IA. It still needs to be there. Never mind the fact that Microsoft has made it horrendously difficult with everything being a site collection. You, you still have to spend the time to put proper IA together for your content. Um, and if you don't, you're going to, Viva is going to be a very frustrating experience because it just yep. won't deliver what you're expecting. Right. Anybody in a large organization struggles with teams and the way that the team's client interacts with them, right? Oh, I'm a member of 50 teams, but it'll show me 30. Mm -hmm. And I know that this was there that this last week. Now I have to go hit it from the, the other teams as assigned, right? Like, and so it, it is a struggle. Uh, and Microsoft is not helping us in this space, right? They're not making this easy. Um, in, in, we've gotten, we're back into the cycle of it should just be Google. It should just work. It should just know. And Hey, AI is going to tell us everything that we ever want. And <laughs> like, we're back in that same spot. So. Well, because it's, it sounds good. It's that whole, you know, free lunch idea. That right. You're right. not going to have to so. do any work. And, and that's not the case. And which also brings to mind another point around the, this concept that we're going to be able to fire everybody because we have the cloud, right? We don't need these administrators and designers and developers and information architects and all this stuff. That's right. part of the myth of the cloud being cheaper. Right. Uh, and the truth is, as the, maybe there's there's an inflection point where you have a point solution that requires a bunch of servers that, that are difficult to maintain think of lotus notes right for example back in the day hey 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 don't make <laughs> me think of lotus notes that, all, i've all lost the, lots of hours there buddy too true all the pain and suffering and and care and feeding that that thing took to basically deliver email um and i know we'll get people saying well your notes is more than email i know i know but at it's the a end database of the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a database. Yeah. Um, and yet, as the cloud becomes more sophisticated and we get more and more of these features, we have Viva and we have Teams and we have Syntex and we have this and that and the other thing. You actually need more people turning those Niles and Dobbs and, and and staying on top of that than you did before who were doing, you know, backup jobs and patching SharePoint. Right. Right. Um, it's higher value work, right? For the organization, it's higher value work, but it's still work. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's still I still have to do things. Um, and I think, you know, I didn't think we'd make it out of this episode without talking about AI. So we're not, um, you know, people think, oh, well, AI is going to be the thing and it's going to solve all this stuff and it's going to write my PowerPoints. And it's going like, to it won't do that. If if chat GPT can write a PowerPoint as well as you can. You need to be serving fries and McDonald's. Yeah, you do terrible PowerPoint. Read like it's bad, right? <laughs> and I'm not, and please, I'm not, I it's not that I don't believe in the power of AI. That's not truth. I use I, you know, Eric and I were talking earlier this week that we use it, right? We are leveraging it. We're 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 using it for muscle and horsepower in places where it makes sense. But at the same time, I would never have it build a deck for me. I would never have it write a document for me. Um, sometimes I will let it start. Sometimes I'll let it give me ideas. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but again, we're back to the, 
well, it's a magical thing and it's just going to fix the problem. Clippy didn't fix the problem. <laughs> Clippy is a generation old AI, right? Clippy, lots of people wanted to kill, right? Like there were targets that had Clippy on them for you to shoot. <laughs> Eric's going, I shot a few of those. <laughs> yeah, I have, yeah, I have done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The argument, of course, is, well, we're in the early stages of, of AI and it's only going to get better. Sure. That, and that's all true. But at the end of the day, you don't want AI writing code because it writes right. terrible code and it always will write terrible code. And it can't make you're doing a presentation or you're doing creative work. It's it, it doesn't and never will have the capabilities to do what a human being could do. There are places where it makes sense. I think Copilot is an absolutely brilliant implementation of the things that Microsoft has done recently. Right. Being AI, I couldn't care less. Copilot, now you're on to something because you're you're providing a virtual assistant to people who are creating content that need ideas or that it started with the whole design stuff in uh, PowerPoint. PowerPoint, right? Where it yeah. would start giving you design ideas. Uh, and then and now we have AI that's helping to give you some ideas on a document or or suggestions on a slide deck or formulas in Excel. That's great stuff. That's where we need it. That's where it works perfectly. But thinking that it's going to replace a legion of developers, well, if it replaces them, they were pretty bad developers to begin right. with because the code is awful. Um, and there are, I, I think, so we... Uh, Paul and I had this conversation at length. So if you want more on this, go check the latest VNext episode where we talk about AI in the enterprise. But uh, I think we'll reach a maturity level where uh, that it finds its place. Um, we're in the hype cycle now, but it will find its its place. One place I think that it can help is the next issue on our list, and that is this myth that it, it's so easy users don't need training. It you know, they'll, we'll just turn it on and they can just go figure it out. Anybody who's sat someone who's never worked in a collaborative environment in front of Microsoft 365 in front of a SharePoint site and expect them to be productive is just crazy, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. And especially if they've gone, say, from on-prem to the cloud. All right. So here's the thing, right? iPhone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So everybody says, oh, it should be intuitive like an iPhone. Intuitive like an iPhone. Now, I don't know what is intuitive about dragging your finger from the upper right corner down at a diagonal to get your controls <laughs> until you've done it, right? Intuitive just means I've done it before and it makes sense to me, right? right. And, and I think that's the danger. We get into this with training. Well, like, I know how to create a column and add a list and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you've done it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the users are like, Hey, look, my last thing was entering an expense report and concur. Now I have to go do this next thing. And I don't know how to do it. Right. And you're like, oh, the, it's on the screen. Do you know how many controls are on a typical screen? Or how many menus there are? If you, if you want to play that how many menus in SharePoint game, <laughs> the answer is 13. <laughs> and you're like, is it really that unlucky of a number? No, yeah. it's just that many. <laughs> There's also this concept of, of, well, Teams is intuitive because it works like a chat interface. Teams is intuitive because you've used Twitter and Facebook. Otherwise, Teams makes no sense whatsoever, right? right? What are the, right. I don't know who said what and when did they say it and who are they actually replying to and did they mean me and, and how do I 
make everyone see that it's not intuitive at all, right? If you think that the software we use today is intuitive, find your average 75-year-old, set them down in front of the computer and tell them to use it, right? Because that's yeah. crap. It's not, right? right? right. Uh, and we need to disabuse ourselves of this concept that, that things are just going to be intuitive and instead focus on making sure that we can deliver the knowledge they people need to use the tools in an effective manner. I mean, much like uh, you, you were one of the early people pushing on this, we've both done a lot of work in this space of delivering training to users at the point of contact where they need it in context. Uh, yep. And there are a number of people uh, who have also uh, release products in this space and other spaces to do the same thing. I think IA will help here in the long term of being able to analyze a, a screen you're on or situation, trying to figure out what you want to do to get the right content uh, to you. That content still needs to be produced. AI could maybe help in that aspect as well. But at the end of the day, users still have to be trained and every engagement that we ever do, bar none, if training is included at all, which it hardly ever is, there won't be nearly enough provision uh, right. for how to get people trained. Right. Yep. And we no, still have a real problem. problem. Uh, another another myth, of course, promoted mostly by the vendors as well. That it's there's no need for branding. Like how many times have we heard the the refrain? Well, you don't need to brand Word, right? Uh, to which the answer is Word is not an intranet. <laughs> Word is not delivering right. a corporate message. Word is right. not trying to create a corporate narrative or, or structure or ethos of an organization. So it's a nonsensical right. argument, quit comparing apples to oranges. And yet vendors will continue to promote that because, of course, branding is hard it, right. for the vendor and for the end user. And there's no good solution to this problem. Trying to force everybody into a box means your product isn't sticky and they won't stay. Right. Right. Well, and we saw the advent of internet in the box uh, as people try to add on kind of that branding and the ability to do that quickly. Um, you know, we, we actually see this all the way through. It's kind of funny because they do, they absolutely make that argument. Well, it's not word and you know, word doesn't have to be branded. And uh, one of the, you know, very early things that they did when we got to office 365 was allowed you to do things like brand your login page. Why do you need to do that? Well, part of it is corporate identity, part of it's spoofing. There's lots of there's lots of reasons there. Um, but they let you do that. They let you control the sweet bar, even in Outlook, right? Like it, it, the argument that you don't need to do that is is, as you said, nonsensical. Um, the other thing is, is we tie this to information architecture, people need consistency. They need for menus to not move. They need for to be able to orient in a space. And if you take away that ability to orient and feel like you belong, people are just lost. And when people are lost, they freeze. Mm -hmm. They don't do anything. You lose productivity. No question. And if you're innovation is measured by how many times you you change the user interface um, then that's the opposite of innovation right uh, right you're not helping um right. and and i'll give salesforce some credit in this regard their their interface still looks like it was plucked from 1995 but uh and in many things ways i think it probably was i'm sure there are features that are still there from back then because that's how it looks 
but they they do a fairly good job of incremental change. And I understand it's a CRM tool and it's not the same as saying it's an overall collaboration platform, blah, blah, blah. But um, they're from being one of the early SaaS vendors, I think they learned some of those um, lessons. Right. And it try not to make too drastic changes all at once. When the lightning came change, that was a big sea change for folks and they had to roll it out gradually. I think Microsoft is getting better at not doing crazy stuff uh, like that, but it still slips in from time to time. And then of course it never fails. And I'm sure, uh, uh, you know, this year will be no different. It, uh, Ignite comes along and they're going to want to announce more user interface changes. This is going right. to look different. And here we go again. Right. Well, let's talk about search. We have a few minutes left. Search, search. Um, all, all we did, a, I think it was one of our first yep. episodes we did. We talked about search. Yep. Uh, uh, this concept that once we go to the cloud, we won't have these search issues anymore. It can just search and find everything. Well, and I got some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you too. Ooh, I have some really cool swampland. Um, used to be the house of a mouse, um, but I understand it's going to be up for sale soon. So I'd be happy to get you in on the ground floor. Get your bids in now. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing simple about search and there never will be. Anything well, and, and, and that's actually, and, and let me tie that to AI. So, so if you think about AI, um, your, your vision of search, search is that first um, statistical modeling that becomes machine learning, that becomes AI, right? Like, and so you have to understand it's massively large data sets and it necessarily works in ways that you cannot comprehend with your own brain without slowly walking through it. And if you do that, as it pertains to search or AI, either one, it will have changed while you were thinking about it. Yeah. Um, it's like the Schrodinger's cat, right? It's alive and it's dead. Um, yeah. So, so search is just, it is, it's always going to be something that is an amazing productivity tool that helps people be more productive. And it's going to be very, very difficult to get right. And so. so much so that there are people who do nothing but specialize in, in search. Of course, right. I'm thinking of Agnes right at the top of my head um, and search explained. But that's it's an indicator of how challenging this can be to get right. And uh, that hasn't changed uh, in the right. cloud. In fact, I would argue in many ways it's harder because you have more surfaces that you're searching across and trying to bring that information. Together. Your corpus is bigger, ergo relevance is decreased. Right. That's simple math. I know you guys don't know what the equations are. Don't worry about it. it but that's simple math. Like the hard, the bigger the corpus, the less re relevant you're going to get. So, so the final piece that you alluded to earlier is this concept that that talking about another uh, sort of marketing pony to be ridden, and the whole power platform is the answer to everything, right? If you, <laughs> you need to fix it, uh, I really do need a stick pony, don't I? You um, do, you do. If and, you need to fix it, build a power app. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, if you thought InfoPath was fun, wait till you try and start building power apps that are sufficiently complex, right? And yeah, we, then let's just start with what do I build? Should it be, oh, I've got a SharePoint list, so I'm going to go build a SharePoint form. Are you, or are you going to build a Canvas app? Right. right? Where are you going to start? Do you need a right. power app page? Oh, right. and what part of that are you going to automate in the not a workflow engine masquerading as a workflow engine that Power Automate is? Right. Well, and yeah, and and I, you know, I've built some really kind of very cool, very amazing things in Power Apps. Um, so we built a 
flight attendant auditing solution uh, that was dynamic in Power Apps. So this is a big project, really cool, had to work offline because Wi-Fi wasn't working in the planes all the time. Mm. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, they put it on iPad minis and it crashed because I literally was doing too much in Power Automate. It wouldn't run offline. Mm. Um, and and people don't think about that. They don't think about, well, it doesn't run offline, right? And technically you can make it happen. I can tell you that when a client comes to me and they say that, what I say is, okay, what's your budget? <laughs> and I don't care what answer they give me. I go multiply that by 10 <laughs> and then we can talk. Um, and by the way, and I should be fair, right? For offline access, all the other technologies, PWA and all that other stuff, it, they all have the same problem, right? Like this is not new news, but people have been sold on the idea that you can now do offline and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and so we, we can build really cool power apps, but it has all of the quirks that you don't think about um, that you now start to have to work around. Like, um, if you have a spotty internet connection, you have to build a collection to hold your data. Then you have to attempt the re you have to attempt the write, and then if it fails, you try it again, right? Like, and this is all stuff you have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I think the other thing is, you know, if I flip to the power automate point that you made, is we have always, 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 always since the dawn of SharePoint workflow had a problem with a small number of workflows don't run. They just don't fire. Um, and really active in the 2007 and 2010 timeframe and helping Microsoft fix a bunch of uh, thread synchronization issues that led, to, that led to some of those problems that, that were causing our failure rates to be in the 3%, pushed that in the 2010 workflow engine down to about 0.1%, but still 0.1% of 10,000 is a number, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and 2013 workflow engine really has similar issues, right? But but so does Power Automate. There are times when it just doesn't fire, right? Um, and there are other issues. Uh, so let me pick on this one. So if you have a workflow, that, a workflow, if you have a Power Automate that operates on a document on change and the user leaves the document open either on the web page or in the browser version, your workflow will fail hmm. because the lock is maintained either by the web page or the client app. And so the workflow can't make an edit. Mm -hmm. Well, wh what kind of sense does it make that it doesn't know, Hey, this thing is locked. I can't get it until it's unlocked. Right. And and part of that's the decoupling that happened in and in right, but but you're right. It's not a but it's not a workflow. It's not a workflow engine. So pick on your. So what are the things that you pick on when you pick on Power Apps and Power Automate? What are those things that you're like? Oh. Well, the first one I got a litany of complaints about um, Power Automate that should have been solved a long time ago. Right, things like uh, you know long running flows and yep uh, the, the lack of logging and uh, yep. you know just on and on and on. But from both perspectives of Power Apps and Power Automate, it's sold as a low-code, no-code platform. Yeah. And to a developer like us, it yep. is low-code. To Susie in accounting, right, Power Apps is a nightmare of code. 
Absolutely. Because it's expressions and formulas and syntax. Mm -hmm. And to get Power Apps to do anything uh, at all remotely advanced, not even advanced, but just halfway moderate, requires a whole bunch of formulas. Absolutely. To make it work. There is nothing low code uh, about it. Uh, and the, that disconnect between the marketing idea of uh, this is a low code, no code platform to the actual implementation, there's a massive gulp there that needs to be overcome. The Power Automate stuff is more, uh, you know, nitpicky points about, uh, you know, things that it should do if it were a real workflow engine. But, but here's Power Apps is a big gulf. But, but here's the thing, though, right? Like, so if I need to build an expression and I want to add two numbers together, in Power Automate, I have to call a function called add with two parameters that I add together. Mm -hmm. No user on the planet has ever thought to add two numbers. I use parentheses and a comma. <laughs> they always think there's a sign on my keyboard that says plus. <laughs> plus. And I've known since my first grade that when you put a plus between two numbers, you add them. And, and except in power automated equals 22 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or 11 or right yeah. yeah like it's just like wait it's a string it's a number it's so that's the i think i think there are still some of these rough edges and and what happens is the folks at microsoft have gotten so used to the rough edges they don't even see them anymore mm -hmm. right and the first time that i have to tell a customer okay to do math you're going to use the add function or the sub function or the mole function. And they're like, what? I'm like, no, symbols are not allowed. We don't like symbols. We think aliens are cussing. Um, yeah. It, that's a funny example. And, and I know why you bring it up because you and I have had this conversation before. But in one of our updates, we released basic math functions, subtract, add, divide. Uh, yeah. And a couple of people asked me, why would you do that when the platform can do it itself? Well, number one, not all platforms can do it, which is why we did it. But number two, right, uh, because of that very particular conversation, okay. because Susie doesn't know how to do add open parentheses, one comma two close parentheses to get three. Right. right. But if you right. present her with a prompt screen, right, that says number one, number two result. Oh, OK. One, two. And I'm going to get three. Right. Right. So. Some of these things seem overly simplistic, but they're solving problems that I don't know if there is a better way for Microsoft to do that. And this is certainly not just to, you know, pick a big stick and bash Microsoft, although we could do lots of episodes on just picking up a big stick and bashing wow, Microsoft. Wow. Wow. You guys, <laughs> you're going to be here for a while. Endless content, <laughs> the never ending YouTube channel. But uh, they, they are not as easy as the vendors make them out to be. Yeah. Uh, there is still a wide gulf between what the users of the tools, uh, the actual users of the tools, who the vendor thinks the users of the tools are, right? And the capabilities that the, the tools provide are the way that it implements that. And where uh, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Uh, we keep sort of going down the, whole, the same rabbit hole. Uh, and that needs to be fixed. And that's certainly not an endemic problem. Uh, to Microsoft, but this idea that if it doesn't come out of the box, we have these two tools that are just going to solve it for you. Well, that's not the case. Maybe they can do a lot of it, but you're going to need a, a quasi developer to make it happen. Well, and, and 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 we've not even talked about the scenarios. Like a lot of our a lot of our clients are uh, they don't control the people they want doing data entry, and power 
apps asterisk there are exceptions you power pages replacements whatever right but you basically have to have a license for people mm -hmm. um and they don't want to buy a license for you know bob's bait and tackle that's going to log in twice a year to update some obscure thing um and that it that absolutely kills power app steals all the time mm -hmm. um and it should right like it's it, it does what it is but when people say this solves everything, I can almost always come up with a scenario. Power Automate, right? So we have the file pipeline processing tool. Um, and it will, I guarantee you, it will fire every single event. Every single thing that it, you give it, it will fire or it will throw an exception and log a message, period. It, there's no exceptions to that. Um, it also does high volume, right? I would... I would loathe to put some of the volumes that we run through pile, uh, the file pipeline processing stuff through Power Automate because, <laughs> as you said, the, the logging is not there. All the stuff is just not there. You, there's no way to manage that. Mm -mm. Um, so I don't think – so I think when people say – whenever – when they translate – let me translate this for you. X is a silver bullet. <laughs> there are no silver bullets. There are no werewolves, and we need to move on now. <laughs> well un unfortunately uh because this list could i'm sure be longer and we could talk about it more but we are once again out of time for this particular episode uh so i want to thank again our sponsors at aptogen and thor projects uh hit either of those urls to learn more about those we'll put some links in the show notes as always uh don't forget that these episodes also air on uh, spotify to get the podcast and, and apparently there's also a video when i upload the video it also does a video podcast whatever that is i assume that's the same as a youtube channel but apparently you can get that on these platforms so uh, we will continue to do so if that's how you like to consume it by all means please do that uh, releases the same time as these uh, video episodes air so if that is your preferred method go grab that at apple itunes google amazon wherever you get your podcasts we are available just search for community cloudcast and with that we will see all of you next month hasta la bye bye <laughs>